I actually want to point out, actually, our, our drummer today, she's going to kill me. She's turning 16 today. So, uh, so. It's my daughter, Megan, so I had to give her a little shout out. But what, what better place to be on her 16th birthday than sitting on stage at church leading in worship? I love that. So anyway, I'm not proud of her or anything. It's good to have you here. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts 13. Uh, verse 38, and we are going to pick up, if you remember, uh, we kind of left off in the middle of the Antioch narrative last week, so we're going to pick up um, in, the, in the middle of that narrative, kind of the point we were at, is we had spent time unpacking the first part of Paul's sermon there in Antioch, where he was basically demonstrating the, the centrality of Jesus Christ. And he stops, starts back in Israel's history, demonstrating how everything in their history pointing ahead to Jesus, uh, the prophets, the prophetic word that, that spoken to David about a coming king, all of that pointing ahead to Jesus, all of it ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And basically what Paul is doing there is he's making much of Christ and he's presenting Christ as the central person in all of redemptive history, all of history for that matter. And, and making that proclamation there to the people of Antioch. He turns in his sermon, and this is where we'll pick up this week, and he challenges the people with a warning. Of, of what happens when we reject Christ. And he leaves it there saying, you, you have to choose. You must do something with this message of, of Jesus. Uh, you either accept him or reject him. There's, there's no neutral stance when it comes to Christ. And that's kind of where the sermon turns today. So we're going to address that and finish up their time in Antioch. And then we'll see that they're driven out at the end of, verse, uh, of chapter 13. And they enter a new city about 100 miles away in Iconium. And they begin the same process all over again. And we will talk about that. Like last week, so there's kind of two levels of, of application here that we'll close with. But just to get you thinking that way, number one is, again, asking you the question simply, what have you done with Jesus? Listen to the warnings that Paul gives. Understand that Jesus is not to be treated uh, lightly, not to be ignored Understand that. The second thing, and we'll see this in Iconium, and we'll see this with Paul and Barnabas, and how they picked back up and they went at it again, even in the face of opposition, that they remained. And so uh, we want to be challenged with that as well, not just what we do with Jesus, but, but also remi reminding ourselves that this mission that we have of proclaiming Jesus is hard, it's difficult, and we got to have at it. we got to keep going with it, and we'll unpack that a little bit. As well. So I want to start reading here in Acts chapter 13, verse 38, on through verse 7 of chapter 14. Paul says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is who he's referring to there, this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said about the prophet, or said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perished, and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. 
And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and, then, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. God, we pray that you would take your word, as always, and do the work in our hearts that needs to be done today. And whether that's a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation, a word of correction, God, we pray you would accomplish your purposes through your spirit, your spirit, God, speaking through your truth to sanctify us, to build up your church. We go here different than when we came. And we ask this as always for the glory of Jesus Christ and the furtherance of his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So here's the uh, big idea of the message today. I'll kind of just throw this out to you so you can track with me. Again, twofold. The gospel message demands a response. That's the first aspect of it. Secondly, our gospel mission will be characterized by hills and valleys of acceptance and rejection, and we must faithfully stick to the task through it all. Okay, so again, two levels there. Our response to Jesus, the gospel message, and what we do with that message as our mission moving forward. Uh, I'll give you a little orientation, too. I haven't done this yet in Acts, but um, this is where we're at here in Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, if you remember... Uh, a few weeks back, we left Paul. They started in Antioch of Syria, and then they sailed down to Cyprus. And we were here a few couple weeks ago, and they 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 crossed the island and engaged a, a Roman uh, government official here in Paphos, who responded favorably to the gospel. And then they sail on up uh, to Persia, Perga, and, and then hike through the mountains up to Pisidia and Antioch, and that's where we were last week, and where this passage wraps up today. And as they're driven out, chapter 14, they end up in Iconium. 
and that's where we will finish today as well. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll see what happens in Lystra and Derby, and then they go through, they revisit the churches that they uh, visited uh, to begin with and head back to Antioch. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, next week, uh, about this time, I'll be paddling um, into the Canadian wilderness and uh, with a group of men here from church on a men's trip. So next week, uh, Bruce Henning from Cornerstone University. We've had him here this summer and um, I've heard great things about it. So Bruce will be here speaking next week on the rest of this passage. And then the week after, John Marco, one of our elders, had given me, um, uh, when we started talking about doing the Acts series, he said, here are a few of the sermons in Acts I would love to do. And uh, the Acts 15, the Jewish Council in Acts 15, was one of those. So it landed perfectly, uh, coincided with the wilderness trip. So John will be uh, dealing with that the following week, two weeks from today. So um, this journey through this, uh, missionary journey here with Paul as it wraps up. Um, like I said, I want to start here with this warning uh, of, that, that Paul gives about rejecting Christ. Warning labels, we see warning labels all over the place, right? You ever take the time to really think about warning labels? Some of them are just dumb. And, and what strikes you the most dumb about them is you're like, there's a reason why this warning label is here. Generally something, something dumb, right? Um, I have a few of them uh, here uh, that are some of my favorites. Um, caution. The contents of this bottle should not be fed to fish. This was on a bottle of shampoo for dogs. So at some point, I don't know if someone wanted to clean their fish or what, but they dumped it in and apparently the goldfish went belly up. Um, Warning, this product can burn eyes. This was on a curling iron. Why you need to be warned to not stick that thing in your eye, I don't know. Um, Do not use in a shower on a hairdryer. Efficiency, right? Um, Also on a hairdryer, do not use while sleeping. Apparently that's a problem. I'm going to shower before bed, I'm going to lay down, fall asleep, and just dry my hair while I sleep. Apparently, that's bad. Don't do that, all right? Um, Keeping with that same line here, this is on a handheld massaging device. Do not use while sleeping or unconscious. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm unconscious, I think to myself, I'm going to grab a massaging device and take care of this. Uh, um, uh, This was on on the case of a chocolate CD, compact disc. Remember those? So a chocolate compact disc. In a gift basket, it says, "Do not place this product into any electronic equipment." Um, so, uh, don't do that. This is one probably my favorite one here. The jokes could be endless. Recycled flush water, unsafe for drinking. <laughs> now, here's what makes it funny. This was on a toilet at a public sports facility in. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, I didn't... I'm just going to leave that right there. Um, Shin pads cannot protect any part of the body they do not cover. This is on a pair of shin guards. I don't know why I got a concussion. I had shin guards on, right? (laughs) This product not intended for use as a dental drill. This was on an electric rotary tool. Would have saved me a lot of money over the years, right? Kathy, go get the Dremel. I'm going to take care of Zach for us. We're going to go to the dentist, all right? Don't do that. Uh, Do not spray in eyes on a container of underarm deodorant. (laughs) My eyes stink. I'm going to (laughs) take care of that. Don't. Don't do that. Do not drive with a sunshield in place on one of those cardboard sunshield things that keeps (laughs) it... 
don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> do not use near fire, flame, or sparks. This was on an aim and flame fireplace lighter. Can you imagine the dissonance that you're having? i got to light the fire, but it says not to use it near a fire. I don't know what to do with that. Um, yeah, uh, may irritate eyes on a can of self-defense pepper spray. That's kind of point. And my last one we'll do is <laughs> do not use for drying pets in the manual for a microwave oven. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened to Fluffy. We, <laughs> we nuked them. So anyway, warning labels. Most of those are funny, and if we violate any of those, you know, if I kill my fish, whatever, right? There's a warning label here that we dare not ignore as Paul presents Jesus, and he gives a warning. And the consequence of ignoring this warning have eternal implications, right? So let's finish up the ministry here in Antioch and Paul's warning as he presents Jesus to the people there. Number one, as we've said, the gospel calls for a response to Christ. The gospel calls for a response to Christ, right? And there are only two, rejection and acceptance. You can't stay neutral when it comes to Jesus. You can't treat him lightly. You either accept Christ and his claims or you reject him. There's no middle ground. Justification and freedom, Paul writes here, come from trusting in Christ. We see this in verses 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed. From the law of Moses. In Christ, there is forgiveness. This word for forgiveness here is pardon, ascending off. A release of sins, right? We are all sinners. We bear our sins. We're condemned before a holy God. And there is nothing we can do. We need that sin removed. We need that sin covered. We can't take care of that problem. There's nothing we can do. But Christ offers that sin to be forgiven, to to be covered by his blood, to be put away from us. Freedom, this word freedom here is actually the same word Paul uses throughout, specifically, especially Romans, this word justification. This is Paul's word, justification. It's freedom from what the law could not free us from, could not justify us from. It's this declaration of righteousness, right? That's what salvation is and justification. God just doesn't declare us as being innocent. God puts the perfection and righteousness of Jesus on us in that place. That's crazy. Justification, freedom from the stuff that we couldn't free ourselves from. You can't fix this. And it's such a desperate place to be in. But God gives us that opportunity to be freed from that which we could not free ourselves. That's the gospel. It's a beautiful message. Through this one man, Jesus, by this one, you cannot be freed by anything else. It's an absolute statement here about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is the only means of salvation. So again, like we talked about last week, stop trying. You can't save yourself. 
Stop looking elsewhere for salvation. Humbly bow the knee to Jesus. This is the gospel, period. Right? So for those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior sitting here, you have a problem that you can't fix. You have a problem that no other religion, no other spirituality can fix. You have to bow the knee to Jesus. God offers that to you. It is there. You have to bow the knee. And like we said last week, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you need to remember that your guilt has been removed because of Jesus. Stop beating yourself up for things that God's not holding against you. You're freed from your guilt. So stop feeling guilty for things that God is not holding you guilty for. It's the beauty of the gospel message. Forgiveness of sins, Paul writes here in verses 38 through 39. And remember the context. Again, he's preaching to Jews and Gentiles. This message of forgiveness is preached to you, everyone who believes. This gospel message is for everyone. There's no one outside the bounds of God's grace and God's goodness. Along with that, right, he gives the warning that consequences do come from rejecting Christ. In verses 40 through 47, we see that Paul has warned uh, these people uh, through Israel's past. His hope is that the Jews in Antioch will not repeat the rejection of Jesus that happened in Jerusalem when the Jews crucified him. Paul addresses this in verse 27. We talked about this last week. Then he goes on in verse uh, 41 here to quote Habakkuk 1.5. This warning is from the book of Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. People are like, man, God is supposed to be loving. How can he punish sin? He has to punish sin, but God gives us the warning. He gives us the heads up. He lets us know this is what's going to happen if you continue on that course because he loves us. He gives us that information. Paul relays that here. This ancient prophecy from Habakkuk. Look, look, see what God is doing. The problem back in Habakkuk's day and the problem in Jerusalem is that they looked, but they didn't see what God was doing. So he goes on and says, be astounded and perish. It's kind of an odd combination of words. What's he doing there? Basically what it is is this. As this unfolds, and you recognize the truth of it all, at the end of your life, you're going to be astounded. It's going to be too late and you'll die. What I thought about when I, when I was reading this and put it together, I was in a car accident a few years back at Leonard and Leffingwell. Remember when the interstate was closed when they were doing that whole interchange there with the belt line and you had to detour? It was terrible. Everyone remember that? You had to detour on Leonard and then go to the belt line and down. And, and so I had left school one day and um, I was turning left off of Leonard onto Leffingwell. I was going to cut back around Calvary Church and out there and I, the, my light turn I start turning left and this, this delivery truck blows the red light and just takes me out <laughs> just destroy. and so it, it's that moment you know if you've ever been in an accident you, you've experienced this right it's that moment you kind of see it unfolding and all of a sudden there's that moment where you're like oh no this is this is happening and it, I'm, you're, I'm astounded and I'm crashed Right? And, and, and it's that moment of realization. But when you're in an accident, that moment comes, that astound, astonishment comes because you're realizing this is too late. I'm about to be hit. That's, I think that's what it, kind of the, the, the sense of this here. Be astounded and perish. You're going to see one day 
that the consequence of rejecting Jesus is real and it's irreversible. And that's this word perishing here. It indicates the irreversible consequence of this action of rejection. And why is the consequence so dire? It's because of this. We've seen what Paul has done as he's presented Jesus here. The consequence is so dire because one has rejected the exalted and enthroned risen king. The consequences that come with rejecting this king and his offer of grace are dire. The quote goes on, I'm doing a work that you won't believe even if one tells you. That's the problem, right? They're being told, you're being told, and we still reject. They still rejected. Don't scoff is the warning. Don't repeat the rejection of the Old Testament. Don't repeat the, 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 the rejection of Jerusalem. Respond to Christ. Now we see in the passage here, excuse me, that many heeded the warning because they begged to hear more. Some do believe. In verse 43, it says, um, Paul and Barnabas say to them, continue in the grace of God. He's, you know, what, what, continue implies that they have come into the grace of God. So we see that some of them do respond. Unfortunately, we see that scoffers do emerge with zeal, it says. The following week, the following Sabbath, in the synagogue, the Jewish non-believers come in with zeal. This active, passionate reaction, they come and they oppose Paul and Barnabas. And we see the significance of the Habakkuk passage unfold here. Israel remains hard in spite of God's almighty acts in history. Right? Paul has unpacked God's mighty works in his sermon. And history is now repeating itself here with God's mighty acts through Jesus also being rejected. And for some sitting here, history is repeating itself again because you hear the message, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's provision through Jesus, and you're repeating history. The same rejection that was there. And the warning is going to be true of you. So that's my question to you. Are you rejecting? Have you refused to bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The second point of application, at least from this too, I want to throw this out to you. Are you ready to be contradicted and reviled? They were contradicted. Paul and Barnabas were contradicted. You will be contradicted. I I think sometimes we don't speak up because we're afraid of being contradicted and we're afraid that in that contradiction we might not have the answer or, or whatever. We don't want to be contradicted. We don't want to be made to feel like we are failing. Listen, Paul fails here with half the people he's speaking to. They reject him. They contradict him. They don't listen. It's okay. That's the way it is. You just faithfully present the gospel. As it goes on, we see as a result of the rejection here, Paul shifts his ministry focus to the Gentiles. Paul has bully spoken out against the Jewish rejection. He says about the Jews, you've thrust it aside, that you've thrust the good news of Jesus aside in verse 46, and in doing so, you've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Again, this is the consequence. They have opted for death by rejecting Jesus. That's how serious it is. When we say, I'm not going to bow the knee to Jesus, I'm not going to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, I'm not going to follow Jesus, we are saying, I am unworthy of eternal life, I choose death. That's it. That's what Paul is saying here. And he now turns his emphasis to the Gentiles with a message of peace and salvation. As the narrative in Antioch wraps up, we see that the gospel does leave its mark in Antioch. The Gentiles, 
joyfully respond to this gospel message, they're rejoicing over it. I think some of us need to reawaken in our own selves the joy of our salvation. These Gentiles realize we're forgiven. We're able to come into Christ. We get so used to that message that we lose the joy over it sometimes. Joyfully responded, wow, we are included. The people of God. The Jews continue to oppose in verse 50. They, they, they rile up the elite of the city and they drive them out. And we, hey, listen, sometimes we may be driven out because of our gospel stand. You're not alone, right? Are we ready? Are we willing to endure this? We see in spite of the situation there in the city, the believers joyfully carry on. The believers joyfully carry on. Paul and Barnabas shake off the dust of their feet. They go on with the shaking off the dust of their sandals. What it basically indicates is you're responsible for your own actions. We did our part. We are not responsible anymore for your choice, what you do with Jesus. I love it too. I think the shaking off of their, uh, their sandals communicates a disregard of the world's opinion of them. They didn't care what Antioch thought of them. We disregard it. We're for Jesus. The disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, we said. I, I love this because what this communicates too is that their salvation, their faith was not just based on an emotional high or an experience like, oh wow, we've just had a great revival service with a great preacher, Paul. And they feel really great about it. No, we see, what did Paul do? He walked them through. He grounded them in truth. These people were grounded. If their faith had just been based on an emotional response or whatever, that faith would have faded away when the persecution ramped up, but it didn't. And we need to take a lesson from that. We need to ground people in more than just experience. We need to develop contexts for unbelievers, the unchurched, for young believers to be grounded in who Jesus is. That's a faith that will last. We see that Paul goes on to Iconium. Paul goes on to Iconium. Uh, like I said earlier, Iconium is nearly 100 miles from, uh, from Antioch. Uh, it's on a major trade route. What we're going to see in Iconium is a cycle repeated, very much like what happened in Antioch. It's this, it's this reception opposition cycle. It happened in Antioch. Received at first, but opposition rises again. We're going to see it here in Iconium. We're going to see it again throughout his ministry and missionary journeys. Many who welcome the gospel, but ultimately many who reject it and cause problems and persecution for them. That happens here in Iconium. They enter Iconium, and I want you to notice real quick, and I think this is intentional on Luke's part. They enter the synagogue. You notice the, 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 the descriptor that Paul puts, the word he puts before synagogue. What kind of synagogue was it? Jewish synagogue. But wait a minute, didn't he just give up on the Jews? And he gets to Iconium, and he goes right back into a Jewish synagogue. I love that. Right? Paul's emphasis has changed, but he hasn't given up on the Jews. Look at, look at his heart. This is Romans 9. Paul writes this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, the Jews, my kinsmen, the Jews, according to the flesh. Those are the people he was related to. Do you get what Paul's saying here? Even after the rejection, Paul is saying, I, if I could, would choose personally to be damned in hell for all of eternity if it meant that all of Israel would come to Christ. He doesn't give up on the Jews. Right? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Jews is that they may be saved. 
I love this. It shows that we can move on without giving up on people. We never hate a group of people because they rejected the gospel. We never just write them off. Paul didn't write the Jews off. He continued to go to them. His emphasis shifts a little bit, but he never gives up on his people. I think this is instructive for us. So they get there, and they effectively proclaim the gospel, and they see great results. Look at how it's noted here. He spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Spoke in such a way. The way we speak matters. I think there's one takeaway from this. There's a way to speak. There's a way to present the gospel. Look at this. Paul writes this in Colossians. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, people who don't know Jesus. Making the best use of the time, let your speech... Always be gracious, season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Right? We could track through the Proverbs and many other places in Scripture. The way we speak matters. I speak truth, right? Spoke in such a way, that includes absolute truth. We've seen how Paul has done that. Boldly has done that. But we also understand that there's a way to do it that shows respect and love and care for people. And to be honest with you, sometimes Christians conduct themselves in such a way that we come across as arrogant jerks. And that doesn't do the message of the gospel very, very much. Right? The way we speak. Yes, present it. Present it boldly and unapologetically. But use wisdom and discernment and respect. Paul was a master at this. And it resulted in people coming to Jesus. Once again, they encounter strong opposition. Right? The unbelieving Jews. Once again, there is resistance. This word unbelieving here has the nuance of disobedience. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? the Old Testament's Hebrew, but they translate it into Greek. This word is often used, the same word for unbelieving here, throughout the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe rebellion against God. Rejection of Jesus, rejection of the gospel, is rebellion against God himself. And that's where these Jews found themselves. So what happens? They don't believe, they stir up, and they poison the minds of the people. They stirred up the Gentiles. That's, that's uh, interesting, isn't it? They didn't like Gentiles. Now the fact, though, that they are kind of teaming up with the Gentiles shows you the level of animosity. It's like, kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right? Um, that, that, that's kind of what's going on here. The Jews so hate this message that Paul's bringing that they're willing to get Gentiles and team up with Gentiles to oppose Paul and Barnabas. It says they poisoned their minds, poisoned their minds against the brothers. They got them to think differently about Christianity. This was like, I won't say I poisoned the minds of my kids, but when they, when they were little, especially Chris and Hannah, I don't think so much Zach ever experienced this, maybe Maggie a little bit, but we, um, you know, like juice, fruit juice, orange juice, great. it's expensive, right? And so, you know what we did with our kids when they were little? We, we created this awesome, we call it water juice. You know what water juice was? We'd take the cup and we put like half juice and half water. And they're like, whoa, water juice. They like loved it. And, and, like, and it was so at the point, like, we'd go to play, like, Grandma and Grandpa's, and Grandma and Grandpa are great because they have all the good stuff. But they, like, offer them juice, and the kids were like, no, we want water juice. Like, this is the best, right? We, we poisoned their minds. We affected the way they think about juice. 
but it's not real. Juice is better than water juice, right? Although now, right, it's amazing. I think we were ahead of our time. Because now you have all this flavored water. You hint. Have you ever heard of hint? I tried, like, what it is? It, it's water juice. It is just a hint of a taste. Man, we had more than a hint. Like, we, had, we were half and half, right? But anyways, but we changed the way they thought about water and juice. So much so that they didn't even want the real stuff. And that's what happened here. These minds were poisoned. They didn't want the real thing because their minds have been poisoned. They think differently about Christianity. I don't have to do any convincing, right, to tell you that this is how Satan still operates today. Christianity, you say I'm a Christian, and that word just brings all kinds of ire in, in, in our world today. Listen, it's just the way it, we're engaged in a conflict. We're engaged in a war. Just accept the fact that what you claim to be has been poisoned by the world. So here's two things I'd say about it. Number one, stop bellyaching about it and just accept it. You know, we're going to sit around and pour us. Like, hey, you know, it just, it's the way it is. We're soldiers for Christ. Accept that. Here's the other thing, though, too. Do not contribute to that. Because a lot of times, we, we, we hand them the weapons to use against us. Their perception, of, oftentimes, is shaped by us being idiots. Right? And so, don't give them anything, either. We're guilty of doing that as well. Their minds were poisoned. Their minds were poisoned. Paul and Barnabas, though, respond to the opposition by digging in and speaking boldly. By digging in and speaking boldly. This was their response to the opposition. Look in verse 3. So they remained for a long time. The opposition comes. The struggle comes. The hardship comes. So they remained for a long time. This word so has an adversative nuance to it. Here's the context. Here's how they respond. They remain. They dig in, even after being kicked out of Antioch. Right? They'd seen this movie before. They stay. One commentator writes this. Opposition did not daunt the two men who dug in their heels because they knew the church needed their support. The greater the opposition, the bolder they became. They stayed because they knew the church there needed them. I left the, the article down in my, my backpack, down in my office, but a friend of ours we've met over in Europe, uh, uh, Steve Wendell, was a missionary uh, for a while in the, the Czech Republic. And, and the Czech Republic is one of the most atheistic, agnostic countries in the world. And Steve wrote about that, moving there and the difficulty of ministering in the Czech Republic. And he said what he did when, um, one day he met a local pastor. And he asked this pastor, he said, and the title of his article is Nothing Works. And, and he asked this pastor, he said, hey, he said, so what works? What works here? And he said this pastor looked at him, kind of smiled, and said, Steve, nothing works. Nothing works. Right? Stephen, he said, he's asking from the American perspective, like, give me the formula we can use so we can see the results. And this pastor's going, no. You just, you just stay at it. You just come alongside. You just come alongside the people who are here, and you proclaim the gospel. And after a few months, you might see some person come to Christ. And you wait a few more, and you'll see someone else come to Christ. When nothing works. He likened it to raising a special needs child. Steve, they have a special needs child, and Steve's like, there's no formula. You wake up every day, and you adjust, and you change your parenting, and you hope that it's working. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, but you just keep going. You don't give up on your kid. 
And when nothing works. Listen, opposition um, generally results in the opposite for us. It gets hard. It gets challenging. We quit. We move on. We take the easy. Right? Listen, ministry, more often than not, requires a long time. A long time. I had a kid over at North Point the other day in the weight room asked me, he's a 10th grader, a 9th grader, and, and he's like, hey, how, how can I get this and this and this and, and, and achieve this and this and this in here? And, and I looked at him and I said, you have to be okay with slow. That's it. You have to be okay with slow. You just can't do this and expect. You have to take time. You have to develop this. You have to develop this. You have to do this, this, this in order just for this one thing. And it takes months. So there's no magic formula that you can do for three weeks and then, and then rip, some, rip off some max on a bench in, in a month. It just doesn't work that way. You have to be okay with slow. We have to be okay with slow. We can't quit. We quit so easy when it gets hard. It gets difficult. They dug in. They stayed. Sometimes we don't stay long enough to see it all pay off. Paul and Barnabas stayed long enough to see it all pay off. What did they do while they stayed? They spoke of God's grace. They spoke of God's grace there in verse 3. The word of his grace. It's the message that they proclaimed. Paul's message centered upon God's grace. C.S. Lewis has that famous response, conversation going on about the religions of the world and what, what sets them apart. And someone asks C.S. Uh, Lewis, what, what, what is it that sent, sets Christianity apart? And Lewis' answer was awesome. He looked at him and he goes, that's simple. Grace. There's only one with grace. God's grace. That's what they testified. And here's the cool thing. God bore witness to their testament of his grace. God bore witness. Listen, be encouraged. God will act. God will act. We simply stay. We dig in. We proclaim truth. Here God acted by doing signs and wonders uh, through their hands, right? God is the one acting. We understand, we talked about this months ago. Signs and wonders aren't necessarily tools that we use, right? They don't exist. They're not at our disposal to make our evangelism more effective and dynamic. Now, I stay faithful. I proclaim, if God chooses to do something, awesome. But that's not my weapon to wield. My weapon to wield is speaking of the grace of God and let God do his thing. That said, works do accompany proclamation, Works do accompany proclamation. And that's the takeaway here. It might not be signs and wonders, but my words and my actions go together. So I ask you, do you validate your message of God's grace with your actions? Do people see God and his love in you and through you? God will support the work of preaching the gospel. But we got to be the instruments that he flows through. He does that here. What did this result in? A couple things. Oh, there's your blanks for that point. I get so excited about the point, I forget about the button. Can't do two things. Results in two things. Division among the people. Division among the people. And verse 4. The people in the city were divided, right? The gospel still divides today. It's the nature of the gospel. Jesus, uh, this isn't a surprise. Jesus says this in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. Don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to peace. 
I'm bringing division. The gospel brings division. This doesn't fall well on our ears today in a culture that values harmony above everything else. It's the ultimate value. Sometimes the gospel is simply going to divide. We have to be okay with that. We do love, we do speak a message of peace, but we present the gospel. And if it divides, so be it. It resulted in that, and it resulted in threats of physical persecution that ultimately forced Paul and Barnabas to flee. There is a time, right? There is a time. The Jews and Gentiles do come together. And they go to stone them. This was an intense, violent rejection of their message. The fact that they wanted to throw stones at them probably demonstrates that they were viewing it as blasphemous. So they react strongly. And Paul and Barnabas wisely discern now it's time to go, right? In the words of the old great country philosopher, Kenny Rogers, right? you got to know when to hold them. When to fold them, when to walk away, and when to run. Right? Sometimes you walk away. You live, you live to proclaim another day. Right? Say that in football. Sometimes the best play a quarterback can make is chuck the ball out of bounds as far as you can throw it. Live, live for the next down. Don't try to force something to happen. Paul and Barnabas wisely leave. But here's the thing. They don't run away to escape. They don't walk away saying, we're done. Let's go get easy for the rest of our lives. It's not the attitude that they have, they move on, they don't quit, and they begin proclaiming the gospel in a new place. They continue to preach, in spite of the opposition. Ajit Fernando, in his commentary on Acts, who's ministered in a place like Sri Lanka, has experienced resistance to the gospel, he says this, give suffering its place in discipleship. Give suffering its place in ministry. You're going to suffer. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. We're going to sing one more song about give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. I'm going to proclaim this. I'm going to take Jesus as my only thing, and I'm going to continue to proclaim him. A few years back, uh, when we, you know, we do these postcards for base camp, right? We hand out these postcards in the neighborhood, and Carissa was, I don't know, she's maybe around 10 years old. And we were going out, and we went down to the other end of my neighborhood, and we, we had a really bad response by someone. And we kind of just walked away from it. Okay, whatever, you know. And the next year, we were going down to that end of the neighborhood, and I'm thinking in my mind, oh, let's just skip that house. Let's just skip that house. And I said to Chris, I'm like, what if, what if we go there, and what if, what if they do that again? And my 10-year-old daughter looks at me, and she goes, we'll just go back again next year. And dad was corrected. Two points of application. Find forgiveness and freedom through Christ. Heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. Big news a couple months ago, right? The Titan submersible. Remember that? The Titanic site, submersible imploded, killing everyone on it. You probably read the articles how they were warned for months and months about that. Experts had weighed in. They had tried, they had pleaded with the guy who the CEO of that company. And he had no interest in hearing it. He had no interest in welcoming in an external evaluator to, to license the sub. He wouldn't do it. And one of his friends, he did an examination of it, and he found all the things that were wrong with it, and he turned it in to, the guy's name was uh, Rush, was his last name, turned it in to him and said, here it is. And the response was anger. They had a meeting, and he fired the guy who gave them that information. The meeting ended with his firing. Right after that, 
36 industry experts sent a letter to OceanGate expressing their unanimous concern about the upcoming Titanic expedition. And they ignored it all, and people died. So don't ignore the warnings. And second of all, don't allow opposition to derail you. Embrace the place of suffering in ministry. Embrace it. It's going to be hard. Don't quit too easy. The opposition came to Paul and Barnabas. Their response, they dug in. We just need to be encouraged in that. God will act. We just got to keep swinging.